Good morning. Christ Jesus is risen. He is risen it's great to be with you in this auditorium. Uh, it's a little bit uh, out of place for me because I've preached for the last 17 Sunday, Easter Sundays over in the sanctuary. So uh, Dr. Bill Balton, I is preaching over there this morning. I know they're in good hands. It's great to be with you. God has certainly answered our prayers, given us more room. Now we need to ask God to give us uh, bigger roads. I think the traffic was backed up pretty far out there. So you be praying for that, all right? I'm excited for the message that God has for us today. Let me pray with you. Gracious God, we thank you that you've called us here to worship on Easter. And Father God, we join Christians from all over the world in celebrating the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Father God, I know that you're going to speak this morning, not me. Your Holy Spirit's going to take words that you've inspired from Scripture and words you've laid on our hearts for Bill and myself. And I pray that your message will be clear today and that I trust these words into your hands. Father God, move in mighty ways for your glory and honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Many centuries ago, when the explorers first arrived at the rock of Gibraltar on the southwestern tip of Europe, they thought it was the end of civilization that was the last stopping point. So they chiseled the Latin words, ne plus ultra, which means no more beyond. Nothing more past this point. You talk about false news. <laughs> when they discovered that there were other islands beyond Gibraltar, they returned and chiseled away the ne and left more beyond, more beyond. The good news this morning for all of us, there is more beyond where we are at this moment. There is more that God has in store for everyone in this room. I believe that everyone here is looking for meaning and direction. Is there something more beyond this life? We wonder what happens to us when we die. What happens to our loved ones when they die? Sadly, many people come to the door of death in fear and a sense of hopelessness that there is no more beyond, no more hope, no more life, no more purpose. Again, on this Easter Sunday, we join approximately 2.3 billion Christians from around the globe that celebrate there is much more beyond. Say that with me, much more beyond. God has much more for you and much more for me than we ever imagined. Today we celebrate the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. We believe in a risen Savior. The reality of resurrection confirms that Jesus defeated death. It gives us a reason for living today and a hope for eternal life beyond the reality of resurrection. The two women named Mary came to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday to anoint the body of Jesus with spices and perfume. These same women were at the cross on Friday and saw Jesus crucified they were there when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. They watched him breathe 
his last breath, they saw a Roman soldier thrust a spear into his side. They probably watched him placed in a tomb. Jesus was dead. There was no more beyond for them. All their hope was gone. No good news, only bad news. But then on that Easter Sunday, as they arrived at the tomb, they witnessed a supernatural event that rocked and changed their world and the world you and I live in. I want to read to you this morning from Matthew's gospel, beginning chapter 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. The angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. There have been people throughout the morning that have come to this place looking for Jesus. Is he real? Is he alive? Is this possible? All across the world, more people come to churches on Easter Sunday looking for Jesus. Who was crucified? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, said the angel. Just as he said what happened, come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. Now, when you get that kind of news, <laughs> you run from the grave. You got to tell somebody what you just heard. So the women quit, ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them. Today, Jesus Christ himself, the risen Lord, wants to meet you through the power of his Holy Spirit. He met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. The reality of the resurrection in the Gospel of Matthew. Great things happened that first Easter. There was an earthquake. There at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Jesus' tomb might have looked something like this, with a giant stone that weighed anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 pounds on, an, on a rolling incline. And that stone had been rolled in front of the tomb. The women had no idea how they were going to get in to anoint the body of Jesus with these spices and perfume. Now imagine, if you would, Jesus being beaten by the Roman authorities on Friday, being nailed to a cross and crucified, a spear thrust in his side, taken down and put into that tomb. And yet those who do not believe in the resurrection said that maybe he perhaps he rolled that stone away by himself. That 2,000 to 4,000 stone, pound stone. That's not, the, that's not what the gospels tell us this morning. There was an angel sitting on that stone. 
An angel and earthquake had rolled that stone away. The guards have fainted. And the women hear the incredible good news that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He has risen just as he said he would. And those women ran from the tomb, had to go tell somebody what they just heard. And they met Jesus along the road and there they worshiped him. Now, while this was happening, the ones who had crucified Jesus began to conspire. These same authorities that had him arrested, had him beaten, had him crucified, wanted to keep this news quiet. And so they used the ruse of false news to try and cover up the reality of the resurrection. The ruse of false news. Now, what is ruse? Not something you put on your face, but a deceptive maneuver designed to deceive by the use of false information. Now, we've heard a lot about fake news in our world today. False news, the ruse of false news. Now, false news is a deliberately constructed lie in the forms of news meant to mislead the public. It's exactly what's going on in the gospel account, but it didn't begin in the gospels. The ruse of false news has been around since the beginning. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are enjoying the splendor of the garden, but the serpent enters into the garden with a ruse of false news. To say that your God, surely he's not a loving God. He won't let you eat of that tree. He's not a grateful God. He's not a graceful God. He's not a merciful God. You can't believe him. And from that moment, the ruse of false news began to spread throughout creation, questioning the very goodness of God. There are people here today perhaps questioning, is God really good? Is God really merciful? Is God really gracious? God's word declares that he is. And Satan, I mean, Jesus confronts Satan head on in John 8, 44 and describes it this way in talking about the evil one. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The ruse of false news. Matthew describes it this way in verse 11, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say that Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. And if the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe, the bribe to spread false news and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. The ruse of false news right here in the gospel narrative of the resurrection. The authorities that crucified Jesus didn't want the world to know that he had resurrected. There were many many ruses spread throughout the years about the resurrection of Jesus. One such theory is called the swoon theory, that Jesus really wasn't dead. He was near death, but when when he was placed in that stone cold tomb, somehow the cool air helped his body to resuscitate. Now, if that is true, then that would mean that Jesus would have to die again. He had to be buried again somewhere. 
and no body has ever been found. I don't believe in that theory. I don't believe in that ruse. I believe that on Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's more popular teachings today that Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. He did great things, but he never resurrected and he's still buried in a tomb somewhere like every other famous religious leader. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis said that you can't say that Jesus is a good man and then deny what he said. Jesus said himself that he would resurrect on the third day. So C.S. Lewis says either Jesus is the Lord or he's a liar. You can't have it both ways. He's either a liar or a lunatic or he is the Lord. We believe that Jesus Christ rose on Easter. But there's another ruse that's going on, a false news that says to you that you have made one mistake too many, that you've made a mess of your life, that this time I've really messed up, I've really failed, and there's no way that I can be forgiven. That's false news. God's grace can take any person here today and change your life. Don't believe that false news. And we're here this morning to refute all that false news with the good news that Jesus came to declare. So how do we refute false news with good news? Let me give you several suggestions. The first is Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection. I love Matthew 16 said earlier in the gospel, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, one of the things we know about Jesus in the Gospels is that he was not an entertainer. He would not boast about his divinity. He would not show off his power. In fact, there are times when his disciples said, hey, there are people that want you to come and, and do miracles. And he said, I must be about my father's business to proclaim the good news. Why in the world would Jesus make this kind of bold claim if it wasn't going to happen? Pretty much, if it didn't happen the way he predicted, then his movement to change the world would be over because his disciples would have been disillusioned and would have left the cause because Jesus had not been truthful. But he predicted what would happen happened. The second way we refute false news with good news about the resurrection is Jesus made many appearances to his followers. And it begins with women. Now, if you were going to make up a good story about the resurrection or about a legend where Jesus came back from the dead, in, in this time, in Jesus' time, you would not have started with women. Because in the first century, women had no rights. They had no personhood. They could not even testify in Jewish or Roman court. Yet the women are the first ones to see Jesus alive. The women are the first to worship him. The women are the first to go and tell the good news. Why in the world would the gospel writers, if they were going to promote a hoax, use women to tell the story? I believe because the women were there and they saw the good news that Jesus was resurrected. Can we give a shout out to the women here today? Amen. Amen. You know, we couldn't do ministry in this church without the women. 
And whether there are pastors or whether there are our volunteers or our leaders, God has blessed us with, with women who still speak boldly of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who go and tell others about the good news of the gospel. You know, the gospels say that the disciples saw Jesus at least 10 times. At Jesus' request, they, uh, they touched his hands, his nail-scarred hands, his feet. They ate together. I love what Luke writes in Acts 1-3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God, and Jesus commissioned them to go and spread the good news of his resurrection everywhere. And resurrection was the theme of every sermon that was preached in the early church. I love what Jesus said again in Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's the mission statement of this church. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We refute the false news about the resurrection with good news that Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection. Jesus made many, many appearances to his followers. And then you have the transformation of his followers. It wasn't a buried body or a missing body that energized, motivated, and inspired his disciples to stop hiding, to stop grieving, and to start declaring that he was alive. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He said, the resurrection was not preached in the early church as some symbolic higher truth. I want you to hear that. We're not talking about the resurrection of Jesus because it's some higher truth. The resurrection was preached as a hard, bare, terribly irritating, paradigm-shattering, horribly inconvenient, but impossible to dismiss fact. I believe that this morning. And when I talk to somebody who is not a believer in God, not a believer in Jesus, and I talk about the resurrection, they look at me like I'm crazy. What? You believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You believe that one day we'll go to heaven? Absolutely. And you can too if you'll believe in him. Now, I believe in addition to the transformation of Jesus' followers proving the resurrection, I believe the Apostle Paul, the most prolific writer in the New Testament, is the wild card here in refuting the ruse of false news with good news. You see, if you know the story of Paul from history, whose name was Saul before he became a believer, that Paul hated Christians. He was offended by the gospel. He was a heavy persecutor of the church. But something happened to change him. And this is what he said about it in 1 Corinthians. He wrote this in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12 
And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. It's like Paul said, if you don't believe me, go ask some of those 500 people, many of them still alive, that saw him. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle, apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. The transformation of Jesus' followers refutes false news. And then finally, I would say to you today, it's what Jesus is doing in the world right now. There are millions and millions and millions and millions of people whose lives have been transformed by their faith in Jesus Christ. People who've been delivered from addiction, delivered from bondage. People who felt worthless, who now know they're priceless. And I'll be talking about that in a couple weeks, how God has the power to take somebody who feels worthless and make them feel priceless by his grace. Today, he wants to do that for you, that he is here to the power of the Holy Spirit. He's working in people's lives. 2.3 billion people today believe in Jesus, believe that he is resurrected, and we affirm that with them. Simon Greenleaf put Harvard Law School on the map. In the early 1800s, he wrote a three-volume legal masterpiece called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence. It is the backbone of the U.S. judicial system of law. We use his writings to know how to proceed with evidence. Simon Greenleaf was not a Christian. He did not believe in miracles. He did not believe in the resurrection. Three of his students challenged him to take his laws of evidence and use them to look at what the gospel said about the resurrection. He took the challenge. And he took what he read in the gospels, what he read in the New Testament, and began to investigate this story of the resurrection. And the more he investigated the record of history, the more stunned he was at the powerful evidence that this claim, that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, had, had, had been a life-changing experience for so many people. It had changed the course of human history. He looked at the dramatic changes in the life of the disciples who insisted, not one, not two, but all of them insisted that they had seen Jesus resurrected, applying his own rules of evidence that our judicial system is based upon. He arrived at his verdict. He reversed his position and he accepted Jesus was resurrected. And he challenged anyone who would look at the evidence, look at the gospels and see if it's true. He ended up writing a book called The Testimony of the Evangelist, where he documents the evidence that caused him to change his mind. He became a believer in miracles. He became a believer in Jesus Christ, and he promoted the resurrection until he died. I would challenge you today, if you have some doubts, read the Gospels. Just open up the Gospels. Read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, read the book of Acts. Just read those five books and allow God to speak to you. Let, let the av evidence speak to you. And I love in the text here, it says that as the disciples gathered with Jesus, some still doubted. 
You know, we live in a world where it's hard to know what to believe. You and I are bombarded with all kinds of news, fake news, false news. Dig into the gospels. Look into the life of Jesus and you will find good news. You'll find great news. You'll find evidence that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. You know, death used to have the last word, but not anymore. Amen? Death used to have the last word, but not anymore because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to give you in closing three things and how the resurrection changes everything. The first is freedom from the sting of death. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you can receive freedom from the sting and the fear of death. You know, the Bible links death and sin together. Friends, everybody in this room is a sinner. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up. And because all of us are sinners, we face death. We face spiritual death. But the good news is that God has the power through Jesus Christ to forgive everyone in this room and take away the sting of sin and the sting of death. No matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, no matter how educated you are or uneducated you are, every one of us is going to face death. And the good news is that you don't have to fear it anymore. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection, I am life. Anyone who believes in me, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Those are the words of Jesus, God's only son. I love the story of a little boy who was driving with his dad on a country road when a bee flew into the car. Now, the boy was allergic to bees, and it terrified him. He got scared. And his dad reached out and grabbed the bee in his hand and squeezed it. And then he released the bee back into the car. And again, the boy was terrified, scared, and he said, son, look at my hand. And there in dad's hand was the stinger of the bee. And dad said, son, you don't have to be afraid anymore. I have taken the sting for you. You see, in the crucifixion and in the resurrection, Jesus took the sting of sin for us, the sting of death. Paul said it this way, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, because of the resurrection, you and me can have a new focus and a new purpose. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, people have a lot to live on, but they have nothing to live for. Most people have never clarified what they're willing to die for. And you're not ready to live until you know what you're willing to die for. See, these, these disciples of Jesus changed the world because they knew what they were willing to die for. They were willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Still in this world today, there are Christians around the world that are willing to die because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They have a mission. They have a purpose. Folks, if, we're not, if we don't know what we're willing to die for, we haven't discovered what's worth living for. Jesus Christ came to give us a purpose, 
to live for a life that will extend into eternity, that to invest in ministries, to invest in people that will live forever and ever and ever. And last of all today, the resurrection changes things so you can have a future that is certain. Those early Christians changed the world because they were fearless. They knew they were going to go to heaven when they died. They knew their future was certain. I love what First Peter says from the message. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given brand new life and have everything to live for. Say that with me. Have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts right now. Right now. There are people here today who the future can start for you right now. Right now, you can accept that Jesus Christ died for you. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you and your future starts right now. I love this story about a painting. Two men were in an art gallery looking at this painting that you'll see on the screen. It's a painting where Satan is playing chess with a young man. And the name of the painting is Checkmate. Satan has this smile on his face because it's Checkmate. He's defeated this young man. There's no way out. I got a text late last night from a family that was grieving a a tragedy that had happened. Something that just very troubling and very, very sad. I didn't know what to say. And I said to Lynn, I don't know what to say in this text. And I I said a prayer. And this is what I sent back. I said over 2,000 years ago on Saturday night, the devil, the demons thought they had won. That evil had the last word. But on Sunday, God had the last word. Amen. God had the last word. And so as these two men studied the painting, one of them was a international chess champion. And he kept studying the painting and studying the painting. And finally he says, bring me a chess board. Let me set it up just like it is in the painting. And he studied some more. And then he said, there's one more move. There's one more move. The king has one more move. And today, for you, God has one more move. No matter how you feel about yourself, you feel about your situation, You may feel hopeless. You may feel lost. You may feel there's no way out of this mess I've created. The king says, there's one more move. And the Bible says that this way, if we will humble ourselves and confess our sins, he will forgive us. Today, he can do that for you. And you can have a new future. One of incredible opportunity to partner with God to change the world. Will you do that today? Let me pray with you. Gracious God, I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to change the world, to change us. And that for that person today that feels like they are at the end of the rope, their life is full of bad news. I pray that you would help them not to believe the false news of the evil one that says they have no hope. There's no play. There's no way. I don't know what to do that today they can be forgiven. We can be forgiven today and given a new beginning 
a new future that starts right now. So Lord God, across this room, hear the prayers of your people. Just simple prayers. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. And I believe you want to give me new life right now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.